Hi, I'm Colleen McNamara, and you're listening to my dad on All Marine Radio on the All Warrior Radio Network. If you listen to the program, you understand why I play this music. To intimidate Grant, who always talks trash about his karaoke skills, although I know I'm not pronouncing that word right. Um, Grant, how do you say that word again? Karaoke. <laughs> no, but you, know, so you say it what people, you say it, say it the way people will understand it, which is karaoke. But uh, just don't tell Japanese people that, or they would look at you, uh, you know, like your Labrador retriever does when you, like, you know. <laughs> Ask him who won the game. Is that how you is that how you say it when it's like two in the morning and you've had too much to drink? Oh, I never would. I would always say karaoke because I'm a, like a know-it-all. <laughs> so I, um, yeah, I would even say it that way in America, and then I would sort of oh, sigh and say, you, "Okay, ka- karaoke." You'd be and one uh, of those, huh? Yeah, yeah, I'm one of those guys. And somebody would you'd say that, and somebody would look at you and say, "Are you with the State Department?" Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Probably. Whole, yeah. You know what they say. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know what they say, right? Yeah. You and I'd build, tighten, you know, adjust my cufflinks and yeah, you'd straighten my tie. Trying to build a reputation a whole lifetime and then in one statement rip it all down. Def- kind of. State, yeah. de- <laughs> State Department. You, well, the scorn that you speak of them with, uh, we, uh, we, won't, we won't get into. The, um, I wanted to have you on and, and talk about some interesting stuff in the news. Um, first, uh, first thing I'll tee up for you is uh, Australia, um, the federal government says no to one of their – are they provinces in Australia? Are they, what are they called? They called it a state. State, nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of, I think it was the state of Victoria, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. um, had entered into an agreement with the Chinese federal government uh, uh, to do some belt and road development in Australia, of all places. And Australia said, put an end to it. Uh, what is significant about that? Is it? Um, it is significant. Um, it's, I would say, once again, the Australians are sort of um, showing what a backbone looks like. You know, I hope our side continues to watch them. Um, you know, the, the Australians are the ones who have stood up to the Chinese and said enough. And this is one more example of it. Uh, the, the background is, I think you've laid it out, is that uh, one of the Australian states signed a deal a couple of years ago with China Uh, to cooperate on these Belt and Road economic uh, investment and development efforts. And this would be like, um, you know, be like the state of Iowa signing a deal with Vladimir Putin in Russia or with Xi Jinping in China himself uh, to sort of work together, you know, to build up the infrastructure in in Iowa uh, or to have Iowa companies and Iowa money get involved in overseas investments even. Uh, But and that's how outrageous it is. You know, generally, not generally, but foreign affairs is a province of the central government. And But what you had, there was a sort of a, an oddity of uh, Australian law that actually kind of allows a state to make those kind of deals with foreign governments. Um, I say it's, it's a, a loophole more than anything that nobody really thought 
that in Australia there would be so many traitors, um, but there are. And they, the governor, or the, what do they call it, the premier, I think, of, uh, uh, of the state, um, he's, you know, he's basically, um, he's got Chinese agents of influence all around him. He's, he's an intelligent guy, but stupid, um, as a lot of people are who do these things. And he was, he was easy pickings for the Chinese, you know, to lure him in with promises of financial aid development for his state. Uh, and, you know, presenting the, the Chinese as just lovable Panda Express kind of people. And they, they had made, say, made short work of him. And so he signed the deal and it became controversial at the time. And it took a little while, but the, the federal government changed the law and just the other day said, you know, that deal you signed with the Chinese, it, it's no good anymore. And it was the Chinese, of course, aren't happy about this. It's embarrassing for one thing. But once again, the, the Australians are the ones who've stood up uh, and, and showed us what to do. And, and the Chinese are madder than hornets about it, of course. Uh, but that's the, sort of the background there. So it is a big deal. You know, it's, you know, there's for many years, and people don't remember this. The idea was, well, there's really nothing you can do. China's harmless, and they're just so big anyway. You need their money. You need their help. You have to have a good relationship with them. You have to be in their market. You just have to be. And the Australians have said, no, we don't. Uh, and they did it really in response to the discovery of just how deep Chinese subversion and influence in Australia was, uh, well beyond the Chinese investment, the Chinese money that was there, which is a part of the subversion. Uh, but they, it was about four or five years ago, the Australians woke up, and that's what they did. So they've changed a number of laws that make it much, much harder for Chinese subversion to take place. Um, and this is just the latest sort of step by the Chinese, the Australians to protect, protect themselves. Talk to me about um, <clears throat> just uh, filling people about, uh, because, you know, you see it in, you know, in the news on a regular basis in the United States now, um, the Chinese influence operations uh, with American universities, but the, uh, the, um, Australians have also pushed push back in that area, yes? Oh, they, they certainly did. Uh, they've, um, to see, when they woke up, there was a, the guy who really drove it was a fellow named um, what, Clive Hamilton, who is, uh, he's an academic, and he, you would consider him a, on the left side of the, the spectrum, but he's a really honest and well-spoken guy. And he's the one who actually woke up and realized that the depth of, Chinese influence in the academic community, for starters. And you have many Australian universities that got hooked on full fare, full fee paying Chinese students. Uh, and along with that comes Chinese donations for research centers, Confucius Institutes, um, etc. And really Chinese money. And you take it and suddenly it becomes impossible to say anything bad about China. If students do, the university administration hammers them. And if the, the pro-China front company, front organizations of students, Chinese students studying at their schools, if they raise a fuss, then the administration rolls over and uh, does their everything they can to shut down people, say, protesting on behalf of Hong Kong, behalf of the Uyghurs of Tibet. Uh, and the, they do nothing to stop the, the, the intimidation 
uh, by local Chinese student groups, local Chinese organizations, and members of the Chinese consulate and embassy getting directly involved in the intimidation of uh, overseas Chinese and others uh, who just want to, to speak freely. Uh, so, But it was Clive Hamilton who actually wrote a book. I think it was called Silent Invasion. I forget uh, the exact name. Um, but it just laid it out. And it wasn't just academia. He laid out where it is in business, uh, in the government, in the administration, uh, throughout the country. And it was uh, an eye-opener. And I've actually once had occasion to meet Clive Hamilton. And he would be, I, I can't imagine a better witness in a court hearing. Uh, he would, would, you wouldn't be able to lay a glove on him. And he's the one who, I think, woke got a lot of attention. Uh, there was a reporter named John Garneau uh, who also uh, had he'd worked in China for a long time. And he's another one who sort of uh, blew the whistle. And all these guys got fiercely attacked uh, by both the, the Chinese government and its, its arms, uh, but also by Australia and the Australian uh, really, the, the treasonous sort of Quisling uh, group, the people taking money from China, doing exactly what Clive Hamilton and John Garneau said they were doing. And they really got hammered. And John Garneau was actually sued for this um, by one of the, I think, a rich local, rich Chinese guy living in Australia with a boatload of money, uh, who was, once again, doing exactly what he was accused of. Um, but so they made life very difficult for these guys. But it did get Australia to change their laws and to and actually start uh, standing up uh, verbally, sort of verbally, diplomatically uh, and militarily uh, to the PRC. It's like, a, it's like a country that made a decision that we've had enough. We're not going to do it. So we're going to change our behavior. And it's, it's a good case study um, of uh, what a country can do. But they're still under a lot of pressure. Uh, from the Chinese, and it'd be good to have the Americans provide some, and others provide some tailored uh, economic assistance for the Australians, as they, so they, as they should do for anybody uh, who gets uh, hammered by the Chinese. Interesting stuff, though. Um, uh, interesting, interesting stuff. Now, on top of that, um, stories, uh, you know, we've watched since after the first of the year. Uh, you and I talked about it. Uh, Describing it as, uh, you know, a uh, a poke in President Biden's chest, right through the uh, right through the nation of the Philippines. Um, evidently, those Chinese boats have dispersed, and then you had you had a, a, a lot of different reports last week. Some saying that the Philippine uh, armed forces, you know, were sortying out. Others said that it was Mr. Duterte saying, which I think is more accurate, saying that he would defend the Philippine economic exclusion zone from a Chinese incursion. Um, and then you had other stories saying that uh, I think Forbes wrote, somebody at Forbes wrote one that said, you know, the American and the Philippines uh, military uh, by presence operations had um, forced the Chinese to back down. Um, and then they even asked the question, um, yeah, but we're not sure for how long that this they will do those things. So let me, having, uh, having teed that stuff up, give me your take on all that. Um, 
This is the the end of nothing. Uh, is and you notice that you know, there was a couple stories that appeared, and the the titles are there were something like China blinks, right? As if China has backed down. Um, in 2014, when the Chinese sent a drilling rig down to Vietnamese waters in the South China Sea, there was a big fuss. Uh, the Vietnamese went out. Uh, acting like they were going to fight. And there was a lot of, sort of international criticism of China for this. But China stuck around. They had their Coast Guard, their Navy close by. And eventually they left. You know, I say eventually. And that was the same headlines was China blinks. Um, no, they don't. They've proved their point and they'll be back. Uh, and that's the better way to look at it. That other example I gave you was 2014, so seven years ago. Uh, nothing changes. Uh, the Chinese, as, as noted, they have made their point. They put a couple hundred ships into a, some strategic area. They went there, and the Americans came and did sales sort of sort of close by. Uh, and not, other than that, nothing much happened. Um, the Filipinos, they, if they sent their Navy out or even their Coast Guard, that would be a – it appears to be a well-kept secret um, – the so they can come back anytime they want. As I say, they prove their point that they can amass force anywhere in the South China Sea that they feel like it. And unless the Americans are willing to send down a carrier uh, battle group uh, to try and sort of do something, uh, there's not much it can do. The Americans go, they exercise, the Chinese sort of clear out of the way, uh, and then the Americans are gone. And now who's there all the time? The Chinese. Uh, and also one other was a little tidbit that didn't get the attention it deserved, but a Philippine news crew went out to the contested area um, by boat and a couple Chinese catamarans came along. These are missile carrying catamarans. They're oh. like our, um, uh, our, you know, those sort of like our L LCS ships, but they're actually useful. Um, and but the, these things came out, chased the Filipinos away. And so what you have are these little wasp-like uh, fast-moving boats that you can move on all, all over the, the South China Sea to scare away just about everyone but a, a U.S. carrier group. And these are operating out of those man-made islands that the Chinese have made. So it's one more piece of the puzzle that allows the Chinese to really have that permanent presence in so many places in the South China Sea that makes them, it brings them closer to uh, locking the place down. So this really is the end of, of nothing. Uh, the Chinese may have calculated at this point that it, they were, they'd sort of re gotten as much out of this instance as they could, uh, partly because the, the attention that was being paid to this maritime militia presence was starting to embarrass them because they were denying that it was actually anything but fishing boats tied up uh, to get out of get away from the weather, but in fact it was maritime militia boats, and these don't they don't fish. You know they are built for one thing, and that is to uh, squash and sink uh, other boats, and 200 of them is a lot to have in one place. So that's I think the better way to look at it. But that attention that was being paid to this issue was starting to embarrass them. It was also irritating the, the Philippine public and parts of the Philippine government. So it was actually turning turning off the Philippines, if you can imagine that. So I think they were seeing that they were losing on the PR end of it, and that would have a political manifestation 
particularly if it drives the Philippines closer to the Americans. And you'll note that the uh, that agreement, the visiting forces agreement between the Americans and the Filipinos, that supposed, supposedly was going to be terminated, well, the termination has been put on hold for a good long while now. And Chinese behavior, I think, was guaranteeing that it's going to stay on hold. And the Americans do seem to be having some progress uh, in patching up their relationship uh, compared to, say, a year or two ago. So, but the so the Chinese got their message across about their ability to uh, project power and sort of dominate the South China Sea. Uh, but at the same time, it, the, an optimist would say, well, it drove the Filipinos a little closer to the Americans. Uh, that's how I would look at it. And, and the Chinese are kind of like the, a class of sort of, I don't know, passive aggressive or manic depressant person almost that, you know, and if you, you know, you deal with people like that, you know, there's a ten natural tendency for ever for us to think, well, when they get better, you know, they seem to improve for a little bit, to think, wow, well, they finally got that out of their system, and they're behaving normally, and that's how people tend to respond to Chinese behavior is to is when they back off from this just sort of savage, aggressive, just mean behavior, and become kind of normal, that it's so re- refresh, it's so what a, such a relief for people that they think, oh, things are better now. And they never are. You know, just wait a little while and it'll come back. So you, you kind of know what you can, you know what to expect from the Chinese, but it's, um, they're tiresome. So um, we were fond of using the, the phrase patient, persistent presence in, uh, in Iraq. <clears throat> I know in Iraq when I was with the first Marine division, the Chinese in fact lived that. Yes. Uh, yeah, the, the problem is that they don't, uh, they keep, um, they're like the dog who's, you know, you make him sit outside the dining room at dinner time and right. he keeps, you know, don't go beyond this line. And he keeps like getting a little, little farther and farther. They will keep pressure. They will keep moving. Right. Uh, they never stop. You know, whereas with us, we're sort of happy just to be there and not have much trouble happening right. and to have people like us. But the Chinese, they don't really care. You know, their objective is to get everything. And that you have to con- always remember that, that they will take as much as they can get and they will do whatever they're allowed to do. And if you don't look at it that way, you will find that, you know, they've eventually just sort of pushed you out uh, of, of the, the place you thought you were, you know, sort of where you thought you were holding the line or that you occupied. Uh, that, that always happens. Got it. Um just a, a, a little sidebar. I saw a headline that says Mr. Duterte's daughter is the is leading uh, polls uh, for the next Filipino election. It, did I see that right? I don't know. I, I missed that one. I think the, the the delivery boy didn't deliver my Manila Times this morning. But uh, um, well, you, I, you I, better boot him. Well, in. You better boot him the in the ass. There's, there's nothing that surprises you. Uh, just, <laughs> um, it's uh, it, it can be an entertaining country, um, but I hadn't heard that. But it it's believable. Um, it just doesn't surprise me at all. The um, I'll read you. Hold on, let me uh, let me let me summon this article. <clears throat> 
Let's see. Duterte's daughter says top in poll. Oh, Duterte's daughter stays top in poll on Philippine presidential candidates. The daughter of Philippine leader Rodrigo Duterte has topped the latest opinion poll on preferred presidential candidates for an election next year, a contest she insists she has no interest in joining. The survey survey done by the Independent Pulse Asia uh, organization conducted between February 22nd and March 3rd third show, 27% of 2,400 res- respondents would vote for Davao City Mayor Sara Duterte Carpio above 13 other suggested candidates. So uh, it's the second time she's uh, topped um, their survey of potential people that would run. So Huh. Um, you know, it doesn't surprise me that and, that and is just sort so of you how know, it works in the Philippines. Just so you know, that was Reuters wrote that, so mm-hmm. you know it wasn't you know, the. Oh, it, it, it doesn't surprise me, and you know, I think if Brad Pitt like ran for president of the Philippines, he he'd have a pretty good chance of winning. Come on, um, that's I'm not joking. You know, that's kind of very um, a huge chunk of the constituency, the population will go after somebody who's got a name or who has an image, um, and you go down the list of their previous presidents. There was one, I forget, his nickname was like Era Erap, and he was like a like a B-movie star, and he had this, like a, he's like an oily kind of guy, and he had like a little mustache, and he was portly and a pompadour, and he was the president. You know, you can get, so that'll get you a long ways in Philippine politics, so I'm not too surprised to see. Uh, see this. But once again, uh, and it's important to remember, though, that Duterte does have a lot of support. You know, he didn't uh, just accidentally win the presidency. You know, he has a lot of people who he does appeal to, uh, that his sort of um, persona does has a certain attractiveness in, uh, amongst a lot of voters. And that, that's a, that is important to remember. It's like any any country, the, the voting citizenry there they have their peculiarities and the philippines have theirs as well Got it. Uh, so you know you wouldn't count her out and it is down in davao her her uh turf so that's way down in mindanao so how she would play elsewhere in the country when they know her better uh, remains to be seen but i think brad pitt would would beat her if he ran nice. uh, against her uh before we talk about japan i want to ask you about vladimir putin and uh, the ukraine um, he has massed troops. Is uh, Vladimir Putin going away? He says he's, uh, you know, all these troops that were in the Ukraine on the Ukrainian border, you know, uh, as he defends, you know, um, helpless Russian citizens that are living in the Ukraine from Ukrainian oppression. Um, uh, is uh, is Vladimir Putin going away anytime soon? I mean, do you, do you expect him to withdraw troops or do you think, I mean, honestly, Grant, he is the master, you know, at this, right? Take, creating a crisis, right? And then just continuing to allow it to fester and fester and fester, you know? And, uh, and so do you, do you anticipate the crisis in the, in the, uh, in, uh, on the Ukrainian Russian border? Do you think that's going anywhere? No, uh, I think uh, we have not seen the end of this. Uh, I think it's 
you know, going to continue. And Putin's probably got something else up his sleeve. Uh, that's really the only way to look at it, you know, they, is, to my way of thinking. Right. Um, the one thing that's interesting to watch is that he's gone about sort of, I would call it siege-proofing his economy and his financial sort of resources, if you follow it closely enough. And by siege-proof, I mean that he's putting himself in a position that if he does something and the West tries to respond, say, with financial and economic pressure, that he can kind of handle it. And so I don't think he's done by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm sure he uh, and the Chinese are, if not talking directly, are at least thinking along the same lines that, you know, when one does something, the other ought to do something as well. Uh, so I wouldn't write off Putin at all. And keep in mind that he's a guy that, uh, you know, he, he does judo with guys a third his age. And on the other side, you've got a guy who falls down going up airplane steps. It sounds mean, but it, the, you know, he is a tough customer uh, who you know, is willing to call people's bluffs. And if you've got on the other side people that you know, can write a good essay and issue really well-crafted statements of concern, a guy like Putin is just going to see the opportunity. Uh, and it's unfortunate, but that's, uh, I think, where it is. And I'm not, you know, holding my, you know, I'm not um, relaxing at all, even though it seems the Russians have backed off a little bit uh, on the border. Yeah. No, I, I would tell you, in my opinion, the same, in the same manner that the Chinese have backed off, which is, it, t- take it as a, uh, as a breath, as a pause, Certainly, as as n- in no way, shape, or form should it be interpreted from yeah they're backing away and giving up the point and and things will move in a different direction. Talk to me about the uh, the fallout um, or the aftershocks uh, from the uh, from the Prime Minister of Japan meeting with uh, the President of the United States. So, Mister, <laughs> it's Mister, Sh- is it Suga? Suga. Suga. Mr. Suga goes to Washington. Um, First of all, how did it play relative to the Japanese? What were the Japanese looking for? And uh, uh, give me uh, the give me the vibe around uh, around the discussion of the visit uh, from the Japanese perspective. (laughs) Uh, The Japanese and I'll just really talk about the the ruling class say, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and the, the, the cabinet office, you know, at that level of sort of the Japanese society that does foreign affairs, um, that they're, once again, they must be pinching themselves. Um, and, they, and then, what is it? R-O-F-L-M-A-O? If I was like a young uh, internet person, rolling on the floor laughing um, heartily. Oh. Uh, yeah, it... it you know, they must, as I said, they must be laughing at us again because uh, they pretty much got got to Washington, um, were able to get away with doing nothing more than saying, we will improve our defense and in exchange, you Americans will come and protect us. And they didn't really agree to protect, improve their defense in any particular way. Uh, they just said they would. So the Americans think, well, you're really serious, aren't you? And you're going to do all these things you've never done that we need you to do. And the Japanese have agreed to no such thing. They have no intention of doing it. Um, and 
yet they've got the Americans on the hook once again to do everything possible to defend Japan, including the use of uh, nuclear weapons. Um, it appears that before the, the, the Japanese delegation went to Washington, that the Americans did try to get them uh, to do something substantial, for example, um, writing their own Taiwan Relations Act, which is a law basically that says we'll do everything necessary to uh, help Taiwan defend itself, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but it would put Japan on record as having a commitment of sorts to Taiwan's defense. Uh, the Japanese didn't do that. And instead, they just at the meeting with uh, President Biden, uh, they, the Japanese prime minister said that he agrees with the Americans that uh, the Taiwan Strait situation is a concern. So really, all the Japanese had to do was uh, sort of go along with that statement of concern. And they didn't promise to do anything at all. Uh, and the Americans didn't hold them to it. And it's, you know, the Americans needed to keep applying pressure they didn't. They let the Japanese wriggle out of it once again. And everyone uh, declared it was all a great success. And that's where we are. Ultimately, nothing's changed, unfortunately. Uh, one funny thing you note in these meetings uh, is that the, the two guys, each they start calling each other by their first name. Like Mr. Biden calls uh, Suga, he calls him Yoshi. And Yoshi calls Mr. Biden Joe. And the, the the American alliance managers love this stuff because they think it shows some depth of the relationship. Uh, but I would beg to differ. You just sort of laugh when you hear it because it's the umpteenth time it's happened. Uh, and uh, the Japanese have done uh, pretty much what they always do, which is figure out the, the least they have to do and then do a little less. Uh, so you can see I'm not too impressed with what happened uh, <laughs> at all. You know, at the end of the day, what did the Japanese agree to do that they are not going to do already? Well, I'd like to hear it. Um, and what did the Americans promise to do? Well, it was to have a lot of lance corporals and sailors go and die on Japan's behalf uh, at Japan's behest. Uh, while Japanese are not joining their own military at the at a prodigious rate, you know, they're missing recruitment targets by 25% every year, and they have been for a long time. So it's the lance corporals and sailors and airmen uh, who are going to make up the difference, apparently. Uh, but if the Japanese can get away with it, you know, who do you blame? You know, it's not their fault if they've got people on the other side of the table uh, who are not willing to play their four aces, which is us. Uh, you can't blame them for that. Ultimately, it's a failure of the U.S. side, to my way of thinking. Wow. Um, Sarah, I gave both barrels and yeah, no, uh, I mean, and all nine yards. Where's Donald Trump when you need him, right? His, his indelicate manner um, actually, you know, used to have people disturbed. Now we've returned to more civil days when the United States gets put on the hook for all this stuff, which is what we're all yeah. used to. So, you know, we, I guess we all just shrug and, and, and life continues, right? Nobody gets upset. Yeah. Um, what is the next thing you're writing about? Um, oh, a couple of things. I'm doing something on Taiwan and, and I'm like a really superficial guy. So I oh, prefer like really. Tell, like, tell us a, something we don't know. Yeah, I know. But, you know, I'd like, if I wrote about the Bible, I could probably do it in 850 words. <laughs> and, uh, but, so, I'm writing something about Taiwan, but the subject is such that it's, 
causing me, a, giving me a furrowed brow and um, profuse uh, sweating. Um, it's, it's a complicated um, uh, thing. I'm looking at one particular approach the Chinese might take to uh, bringing Taiwan under their control. And it's proving a challenge to, to simplify it down to sort of to my low standards. Um, but it's just it's very complex. Every, it's like a Rubik's Cube kind of thing. And every time you think you have it, there's some little bit that you haven't thought of, and it upsets the whole thing. Uh, so it's like being a planner, I guess, for like a, is there anything the air plan. That, is there anything that we can help you with? Is there any one issue that you're struggling with that we could maybe uh, make it maybe help you with? Well, it's the pronunciation of the word <laughs> Kaohsiung. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'll, I'll let you know if there is. Right. Um, right. Or I will say, if you, when I get it done and it comes out, don't laugh. That will be the better thing. Or don't, don't roll your eyes, at least in, in front of me. Um, but that's the thing I'm working on. It's taking, a, it's a, a long, it's taking some time, some thought. That's the problem. Are you surprised at the amount of attention that um, nations are paying to Taiwan these days? I mean, Taiwan had essentially been, you know, um, it's almost like COVID has, and, and the Trump administration, the combination of the two, has kind of resurrected Taiwan as a nation and put it back on the newspaper as an issue when, the Chinese have been very successful at saying, yeah, we don't talk about them. We don't have that on Maverick's jacket anymore. We don't do this. We don't do that. Um, are, 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 you, are you surprised at the place that Taiwan uh, occupies in the news these days? Um, yeah. You know, now that you mention it, I think you've, what you've laid out is actually is, you know, once you step back a little and you consider, like, look at things over the, the course of the last two years, Things have changed. You know, Taiwan is getting not just more attention, but there's also, I think, more appreciation than it's ever gotten in recent times. And that is an important thing. It's always hard to quantify, though. And that's why one of the reasons it doesn't get, you know, the attention it deserves, but it, it really has things have shifted in Taiwan's favor, although, you know, say shifted in its favor is not the same thing as having fixed things. Uh, still a huge problem, but Taiwan is being thought of as something uh, less than like the gum on your your shoe, uh, which is what a, a Chinese official referred to it as not too long ago. When they referred to Australia that way, um, as just oh, it's like something you pick up on the bottom of your shoe, uh, and not like unpleasant and unimportant. Uh, and to be just sort of wiped off. But Taiwan used to get that treatment, and from Washington, no less, and uh, Western Europe, too, and a lot of other places. Uh, but not so much these days, and that has changed. It's a good thing. It's nice to see it. Um, now we'll see what we make of it. Interesting. Uh, um, since you're there, um, obviously the Chinese have to notice this um, and uh, have have. What's the, the Chinese, the Taiwanese have to notice this. Uh, what is the domestic Taiwanese reaction to all of that? You know, they never really get too excited about things. You know, the, the hair doesn't get a light. You know, some people would say they're probably not worried enough about things. Got it. 
and so say so they don't. It's funny just how even te- sort of even tempered they are. Although inside, there's you know it does get noticed, and if you're a government official uh, whose job it is, it gets noticed even more. So uh, it's um, it's sort of a tricky one, is how I would put it. But you know they don't get too excited or too depressed is maybe the the best way to put it. The, which is a the the bad part of that is it means you kind of ignore the actual risk uh, more than you should. Somebody asked me to ask you the next time I had you on. He said, could you start asking Grant a question for me on a regular basis? Ask Grant, is there a piece of news relative to the Pacific Rim that has broken squelch, squelch and caught his eye this week? So is there something in the news, Grant, that, that you have noticed that has caught your eye? Well, you know, that's a good question. It's because there are things that now and then, you know, you, you see it and it kind of, you think, wow, this is important. It didn't get the attention it should have. Uh, the one that I, there's a couple things and it's been like in the last couple of weeks. And one is the, uh, the um, Australian news about the, the contract between China and Victoria. Uh, Victoria being um, canceled. That's a big deal. But that other one I mentioned about the the two Chinese catamarans uh, that showed up in the South China Sea to scare off the Filipinos, that was a big deal uh, that didn't get the attention it deserves because those the missiles on those things, you know, you get enough of those ships with enough of those missiles and you can uh, you can send an aircraft carrier into the South China Sea and it may come back a smoking wreck. Uh, you know, that was something that I think didn't uh, deserve more attention. Uh, so that's the one one thing I would actually, uh, if I had to choose uh, one thing, it would be those catamarans uh, that showed up just the other week. Interesting. All right, sir. Well, first of all, I appreciate you uh, coming on. And uh, uh, do you have any travel advice for me? Uh, you spent a lot of years in Hawaii. I'm headed to uh Joint Base Pearl Harbor Hickam. Uh, any any uh, any uh, discotheques or bars that I should hit? Any places I should see, other than the historical places that I will make sure that I see? Um, oh, it has a oh yeah. Well, it's got a thriving art scene, and that's always a requirement for me when I go to a place to have a thriving art scene. So and the club scene too. But um, okay, beyond that. One thing that's kind of nice, actually, is if you drive over H3, it's like one of the few highways, to Kaneohe Bay, you know, to where the Marine Corps Air Station is, that the view is world class. You know, once you get, you'll see, it's just, you know, get your, you'll you're the guest of the Air Force, they'll probably give you like manservants to drive you around. Well, let me, Um, I, I don't know about that, but I will say this, you would never get, I stayed, when I was in Colorado Springs speaking, I, sp- I stayed in Air Force Distinguished Visitor Quarters. Mm-hmm. You would never confuse that for anything you've ever seen in the Marine Corps. Ever. <laughs> so. Did you, was it like the choice of butlers? or <laughs> no, I, It is unbelievable. <laughs> the Air Force lives... It's very very nicely, and so yeah, I'm I'm yeah, uh, I'm happy to work for them any any time. So, uh, huh? but just recall, oh. this is a joint base. So oh, well, they the navy, the, the navy, the Air Force got yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. 
But uh, I would uh, one. It just there's a lot of visual stimulation in Hawaii, and I think you'll pick up on it. But I think if you can get over the other side, just to see that view from sort of the the mountain spine that goes through the the middle of the island uh, over onto the other side, it, it really is attractive. Um, you know, everybody I suppose walks through downtown Waikiki and. Uh, you know, around Diamond Head, that sort of thing. And it kind of looks like you expect it will. Um, but those are, you know, and Pearl Harbor, you know, if you like history, that too, just the base itself is kind of interesting. Uh, they, yeah, so there's a, if you're just there for a few days, I think you'll have plenty of time. Uh, there's a lot to entertain yourself, just it's visually interesting. And um, uh, you don't even have to, you know, try to find the good clubs. You know, they, uh, that'd be the next trip. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I appreciate the uh, – now, how many years did – I mean, you lived in Hawaii for a lot, a long, lot of years, right? Yeah. I um, My first assignment in the Marines was uh, Kaneohe Bay. And when they called in – you know, they call in the officers to give you – tell you your place. I was given a choice between Camp Lejeune or Kaneohe Bay. And I thought it was a trick question. <laughs> you know, I thought that if I said Hawaii, that they would say, well, you're being selfish. You're going to North Carolina. You're really going to 29 Palms. Yeah. And then I uh, said, well, I thought, oh, goodness, I'm thinking too much. So I said Hawaii. And they said, okay. Um, but so I've been there for over the last 35 years. I've been here a lot. And so I've, I know it pretty well. And uh, it's, you know, it, it's okay. You know, yeah, it's okay. It's a nice enough place. It's kind of run like uh, it's like Louisiana in terms of state government, um, and then a, a part of that floated out to Guam and then beyond to Saipan. It's kind of a one-party sort of very corrupt sort of state, but it's visually it's it's pretty good place. Got it. All right, sir. First of all, I uh, always appreciate you coming on, and uh, I appreciate you uh, doing this. So. Um, everybody has something to hear Monday when I will be out speaking. So uh, thank you very much, Grant. I always appreciate sure. the uh-huh. conversation. Oh, yeah, I'm glad to hear you're going to uh, Hawaii. It's, uh, that, you know that there's a demand for your your uh, <laughs> my service insight. Yeah, yeah, you're not being fun, not being nice, but it's uh, it is a big deal, and uh, you know it's good to see someone who's not one of these uh, consulting racketeers, you know, actually getting brought into action and that will save lives so so well, i think that so that actually um, is a good thing to my way of thinking so. no i'm excited i uh um you know i i've seen what this has done and and uh and I, for those of us who've seen you know the the young members of the american military um you know fight for this country you know it's the most you know take your breath away you know it's a, and they don't do it when it's convenient they do it anytime you ask of them and uh and so you know to to be able to go out and hopefully impact lives and 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 do that is uh is is tremendously exciting to do it um again born on december 7th to be able to go to pearl harbor and and hickam and and uh you know places i've always seen through pictures and whatnot is uh very exciting for me and uh so i'm looking forward to it but uh thank you grant i I truly appreciate that no pleasure okay well i look forward to next time all right thank okay right Mm -hmm. out here There you have it, Grant Newsham. And uh, that'll do it for this uh, this Monday edition of All Marine Radio. I'm uh, currently out speaking right now. Yeah, in case you don't know that. 
And if you're just tuning in, uh, don't touch that dial. This program repeats itself. Grant's always great. Um, yeah, All Marine Radio. In the expeditionary mode um, in Hawaii. So um, have a great day. I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio on the All Warrior Radio Network. Don't be afraid to change somebody's life. And if I can help you, all you have to do is whistle. Have a great day. I'm out. 